This podcast features adults using adult language, but you know, you got to grow up sometime. Hey everyone, you know what it's time for? Swans Crossing! First, we need to talk about the fact that you're moving. <laughs> Only for part of the year. I thought we told you we were we were looking into this. This is pro- you probably did, and yeah. I I don't listen to things that I don't want to hear. So, <laughs> yeah, everyone. Um, Paul and I, after 28 months of waiting and jumping through a lot of really stupid hoops, uh, we have been granted permanent residency in Canada. So I know I'm excited. So so we're going to be uh, moving over to Victoria, which is just like a stone's throw from where we live now, just on the other side of the border. Um, so yeah, our plan is to spend about half the year in Victoria, so that Paul can pursue his interest in comedy, and um, half Great. the year here because I don't want to be in a city all year long. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I did tell Paul the only city I could stand to live in if I had to live in a city would be Victoria, BC, because I actually like it there. It's really nice. It is. It's a nice city. There's yeah. plenty of green space. It's not super crowded. Um, so I was like, okay, if we have to live in a city, can we see if we can get an okay to live in Canada and go to Victoria? And he was like, yes, because there's a booming comedy scene in Victoria. I was like, great, this works out for both of us. Yeah. <laughs> Victoria's got great arts. I mean, mm-hmm. most of Canada has great arts because unlike other countries <laughs> that we live in, uh, the government supports the arts. Yeah, the what government are... supports the arts so much that if you yeah. are self-employed in the arts, they want you to come live in Canada, which is how I got over there. That's nice. Yeah, I, I learned about this program where they're giving um, permanent residency to self-employed artists and writers count as an artist under Canadian <laughs> law. So I was like, great, let me in. You guys have better health care anyway. So this has got to grow up sometime with Swans Crossing Retrospective. And I'm Libby Grant. I'm Nathan Kessler-Jeffrey. Welcome to season five, everyone. Season five. We've been gone so long, except for you and I. We recorded <laughs> last week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As, as if our listeners don't get enough sort of behind the curtain. <laughs> <laughs> don't ever ask how the sausage is made. <sighs> Never. Um, speaking of how the sausage is made, I uh, a couple days ago, uh, part of my writing process as an author <laughs> is that uh, I get really high. Right. And I go contemplate ideas while I'm stoned. And um, that helps me a lot with my writing, like legitimately. That's where most of my best ideas and execution come from. And um, my neighbor, my next door neighbor, which you know, there's there's a, a few acres between our houses. Right. But, but my next door neighbor uh, is a big fan of my books, which is lovely. Oh, nice. I know, it's so nice. She's a lovely woman and she's always very wonderful. And whenever I see her, she always tells me how much she enjoyed my most recent book that she read. And uh, I regret very much that a couple days ago, I was out at 10 in the morning, smoking a joint, just staring at this anthill on the side of the road between our houses. And she went jogging by. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> now she knows how the sausage is made. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Never meet your heroes. <laughs> Don't be neighbors to, to authors you like, for sure. Oh, my gosh. That's uh. hysterical. <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, we watched episode 41 to kick off season five of Gotta Grow Up Sometime. Uh-huh. What an episode it was. Oh, my word. Uh, what did I think was going to happen? I had I had a lot of questions at the end of last episode, as I recall. You did. Well, first of all, you predicted nothing was going to happen with the Baldies. That sure was not correct. I was wrong. I was real wrong. You thought we would either get multiple scenes of a young girl in a hostage situation, or she would get away and the police would be called, and Officer Moore would have to figure out how to deal with the fact that there are kidnappers afoot. Uh, you did say there was no good way for the writers to write themselves out of this scenario. I would say you were correct about that. We got multiple <laughs> scenes of a young girl in a hostage situation. Yeah, it's bad. Yeah. It's um, bad. You thought since Glory would disappear, we would not see her at all in this episode. She would just be gone, and people would be wondering where she is. Uh, and by the end of the episode, Callie would be on the hunt to find Glory. Even though Glory didn't disappear and we did see her, I would say you're right otherwise, because the whole episode's about how Glory's gone and Callie's on the hunt. Which... I'm glad that I predicted the right thing, but this girl has been gone for 20 minutes. <laughs> true. And everyone is freaking out. Very true. Um, you also thought <laughs> Billy would still not have arrived in Swan's Crossing, but we would spend this episode and possibly the next one getting Mila ready, and Sydney and Mila would go shopping for an outfit. I'm going to give you all of that as a win. Um, because that was kind of what was happening on yep. Sydney's end of things. And yep. even though you don't know it yet, Sydney did go shopping for an outfit for Mila. I cannot wait to see that. It's in the bags that are shown behind her in that one scene. Oh my gosh. They're, they're, we're going to talk about all this stuff in that one scene. Can't wait. <laughs> you said that uh, the next time we saw Sydney would be after laundry day with Sandy. She would be tired and disheveled. Um, we saw her sort of at the end of Laundry Day. I'm going to give you that one, too. Thank you. Thank and you. Uh, finally, Barrick would come back to the tool and die and see the mess Callie and Jimmy had made. He would chew them out for being immature, and Callie would run off with her fishing pole. That, you got too wrong. Otherwise, yeah. a strong performance. Yep. All right. Not bad. Uh, the thumbnail for this one. <laughs> I hate this thumbnail. The thumbnail is the scene... The car scene while Ralph is driving Sydney and Mila home from one of the very early episodes, it sometimes makes it into the opening credit sequence, but I didn't see it in the opening credit sequence. I don't think this thumbnail is from this episode, Libby. I don't think it is either, which is weird because there were so many good thumbnails you could have pulled for this episode. One thousand percent. Uh, three masked baldies? Yeah. In, with candles? I mean, hello. Yes. <laughs> we open with a bit of a recap of the ending of the previous episode where we see Glory outside the tool and die reading from the poetry book and the Baldies abducting her. Then we immediately cut away to the inside of the tool and die and it is a disaster. It looks like a hurricane hit. There's stuff all over the floor. They've been. It looks like they've been throwing stuff at each other this whole time. But my favorite thing, Libby, about the stuff on the floor is that it is littered with brown paper towels. <laughs> like they didn't have enough garbage everywhere. They're like, we need to make this look messier. Someone go in the staff bathroom and grab a bunch of those paper towels. Out right. Of expense. <laughs> exactly. But my favorite part of that is, is that the association that I made is that they have been throwing paper towels at each other in a non-balled up fashion. The paper towels are all flat. So they had to have been like chucking these open, flat paper towels at each other. I think the least satisfying way to express your rage would be to throw 
just fully open, non-balled-up paper towels. My mother once got so angry with at me when I was a child. Not a child. I was probably like in my early teens. Um, but she, she she grabbed the nearest thing to smack me with, and it was a slice of bread. <laughs> it was excellent. That's it was excellent. Great. We've never let her forget it. <laughs> well, they're still yelling at each other amid all this mess, and Callie won't back down on her insistence that Barrick is a shady dude. She tells Jimmy, someday he's going to see Barrick for what he really is. But then it'll be too late. And she storms out. Yes, she does. It should be noted also that now, because we see her storm out of, to the outside of the tool and die, so moments after Glory was abducted, in the place where she had been standing, there is now a Glory-sized stack of boxes. Yep. I don't know who put them there or why, but they have appeared. <laughs> no one knows. No one knows. Callie starts calling for Glory. Maybe she's in the boxes. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> Callie can't figure out where Glory is and starts worrying. We get a Jimmy comes out. They have a little bit more of a tiff, and then Callie goes off. Jimmy goes back into the tool and die and angrily tosses an extension cord on the floor. <laughs> I do also love that Jimmy's like, maybe you're yelling scared her off. And she's like, my yelling is like, yeah. And then she goes, Glory. <laughs> <laughs> he yells it even louder. It's so good. Uh, we cut to the laundromat, which is a brand new set. We've never seen this We've one before. We've never seen this one before. It is it is replete with new features, including a washer and a dryer. <laughs> and, in addition to the washer and dryer, a poster for Mayor Rutledge for Mayor and a Choice for the People Grant Booth. <laughs> yeah. I love that everywhere in Swan's Crossing that there's one mayoral sign or mayoral sign. Uh, <laughs> there's There's the other one. But my favorite thing about this is when the camera cuts in, Sydney is folding a pair of swan undies. <laughs> uh, and by swan, I mean the swan family undies. And they are Ninja Turtle undies. I love it. I love it. It's like little kid undies. And they're so funny to me. I, don't, I guess because like everyone, ha all the little kids had Ninja Turtle undies back oh, then. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, Without a doubt. No, no question. Sandy's expressing her gratitude to a less than enthused Sydney in the laundromat. And they look around for the laundry bag that they brought all of this stuff in, which, as, as I mentioned last episode, was enormous. Indeed. In fact, I think you said it's big enough that you could fit a person in it. <laughs> <laughs> and they can't find it. And we cut from there to the Baldies who have wrapped... Glory in the swan's laundry bag yes. and are trying to gag her from the outside of the bag. Yeah, it, it is unsettling to anyone who's familiar with true crime podcasts because this is BTK tactics right here. I'm upset that I know that. Anyway. I I do not. Courtney will love that reference. I I'm sure she will. I have never <laughs> listened to a true crime podcast. Um. I want to note that the logo for the swan, the swans, the swans laundromat is the same logo as the, as the logo for the show. It is. It's just swans <laughs> without the crossing after it. It's so good. And they uh, they tie her up. They try to gag her through through the bag, and then they like carry her off camera. They're in the they're in what appears to be like a woodsy sort of set environment thing. Yes. Uh, also, it's kind of hard to hear their dialogue because of all the kicking and screaming from Glory, but one Baldy asks the other Baldy where he learned that knot, and he says, it's a family secret. <laughs> and then
then, as they carry Glory off through the foliage, the other Baldi says to Captain Baldi, try to be inconspicuous, which is hilarious to me because the Baldies have never been inconspicuous. My, that line, I have a note about that line as well because I, I was laughing uproariously <laughs> at this idea that you could be in all black, wearing a mask, carrying a struggling child in a laundry bag, and look inconspicuous. It's like the, is it, is it Parks and Rec where they have the don't be suspicious scene? Or the don't be suspicious, don't be suspicious. <laughs> it's like the most suspicious thing you've ever seen. Um, also, other inconspicuous things the Baldies have done before. Going around town with birds' nests on their heads. Yep. And chopping pancakes with machetes in a crowded restaurant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think that ship has sailed. Yeah. Fortunately, we cut to the credits. <laughs> and then we come back to Garrett coming out of the booth house onto the porch Callie comes up wondering where Glory is, and she's obviously not here, and Garrett tries to figure out why she disappears. Callie says something about giving her and Jimmy some space, and Garrett immediately, like, pounces on that with this, like, his patented smirk. He's <laughs> so gross. Uh, Callie admits that she and Jimmy actually were fighting, not making out. Um, <laughs> so maybe... <laughs> so Garrett says, oh, well, Glory hates to be around fights because she's very sensitive. And Callie says, well, she left her bag when she left. And Garrett says very nonchalantly, she probably just ran off. <laughs> As you do. Callie mentions that Glory's not the kind to, like, just run off without saying anything. And this seems to register with Garriott. And Garriott. Garrett, the usually empathy-less psychopath. So Callie heads over to JT's and Garrett decides to go to Swan's to see if JT is there, quote, at the trough. <laughs> so to speak. And then we cut over to Neil... Bringing sandwiches to JT, who's pissed off because they're not at Swan's Cafe. It's Double Burger Day. Oh, <laughs> it's curses. Double Burger Day. Double Burger Day. You remember food specials? Was yeah. It, like, there were specific days of the week that you could go to a restaurant and get, like, extra food. Yeah. There'd be, like, the... the yeah. It would be, like, Extra Fries Day or whatever. Yep. Yep. Those were uh, the days, man. I miss that so I mean, much. the gas station in our town on Wednesday, you can get fucking dope-ass pho from that lady. You didn't know that? What? The big store. Okay, listen, guys. We, have, we live in such a small town. There are two gas stations. They are called... The big store and the little store. I'm not shitting you. This is true. This is a true thing. <laughs> yeah, the big store. So the couple that owns it, the wife, like, makes incredible pho on Wednesdays. So go in on Wednesdays, like, around lunchtime. Go okay. To the, there's the back counter. Yeah. She'll hook you up, dude. It's, like, 12 bucks for an incredible bowl of pho. I've lived here for over four years, and no one has told me this. Surprise! Does no one like me? <laughs> Uh, so Neil has made some kind of weird sandwiches. Uh, JT's not impressed. Neil tells him to take a megabyte because computers. Which he, <laughs> jeez, he does and immediately spits it out. The, Neil says something about Professor Van that I cannot make out. No idea what he says. Uh, but they come to an agreement if they make it to, quote, the next stage of ub 2 they'll go to Swans <laughs> for a burger. Yeah, and then Neil picks up a couple of thingies that look and sound like a pair of dice. And says that thanks to Professor Van's inquiry, this eutranium could provide us with the heat tolerance needed for the heat shield. I, th I think they're crystals. They're crystals that he has picked up. I suppose. But, like, he's just keeping this presumably radioactive substance sitting around on his desk and, like, handling it with bare hands. I guess it got shipped to them in a manila envelope, so why not? I mean, how radioactive could it be? <laughs> 
true. Uh, Neil gets ready to start the equation in the computer, and the plan is that they memorize it. JT does not want to memorize it. They've apparently put plenty of safeguards in place on the data, but Neil is insistent that they trust no one but themselves. This is all eventually, I presume, going to pay off. Kind of. (laughs) So they start reciting their weird formula, which begins with spam in a can, Project Mercury. It goes on and on with nonsense. It bears more resemblance to the secret codes people had to recite to get into old-timey speakeasies. Yeah, actually, that's true. Yeah. Uh, Callie bursts into the room. (laughs) Again, no one knocks in Swan's Crossing. Nope. Uh, she's asking for glory, and there's this ominous music as JT asserts that he thought she was with Callie, and then seems to realize that something is wrong. Ah! Glory has been gone for a maximum of 20 minutes at if this even point. That, like, at, like, max. Yeah. Uh, but we cut to a dark enclave somewhere. There's gritty sax and electric guitar music playing, and Glory is shown unconscious inside what appears to be. A net made out of enormous ship's hawsers. These ropes are huge. Like, if you've seen Return of the Jedi, it's the it's the same type of net that they all get caught in on Endor. Yes, yes. Uh, Glory is gagged. She looks very forlorn. The Baldies remark that it's almost over, and then they high five. They high five and follow it with a fist bump. I missed the fist bump. I think I was. Uh, I think I was probably typing. They high five. It's pretty funny. We come back to Callie explaining what happens to Neil and JT. Neil seems completely unconcerned. The quote that I want to share with you all is: "Girls are always daydreaming and wandering off," which I think actually only applies to female authors who are high. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Then he brings up some specific instance where Glory wandered off and, like, the whole town had to go and look for her. The Father's Day picnic. Yes, she the went into the... classic Father's Day picnic. She went into the woods to look at flowers. And JT says, but after that, after the whole town had to search for her, she promised she would never wander off without telling someone where she was going. Yeah, so JT thinks that if Jimmy and Callie were getting into an argument, uh, she... Glory might have told someone else, maybe Katie, who Glory was going to babysit later today. So JT goes to check with Katie. And then Neil and Callie start discussing JT's poetry, specifically the first volume, because Neil really wants to know if she had the first volume on her. Yeah, and then we get this flashback to where uh, Callie remembers the time Saja told her that Neil and JT were working on something really, really big and super top secret. And then we come out of the flashback and Callie's like, that book wasn't just JT's poems, was it? <laughs> Neil tries to fob her off, but Callie will not be fobbed. My... <laughs> Neil says, that's just girl paranoia. And I was like, nah, dog, that's gaslighting. That's what that is. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> so Callie is just like even more ramped up. She's like, damn it, she's going to find Glory. She understands now that Neil has somehow brought Glory into his dangerous science schemes. <laughs> dangerous science schemes should be the title of this episode. Probably should be. Yep. <laughs> she tells uh, she tells Neil to get JT and find Glory as fast as possible, and then storms out as we cut over to Garrett at Swans. <laughs> JT mm-hmm. comes back into the room. 
Katie swears on the Muffin Meets Moonbeam stories that she hasn't heard from Glory all day. I'm curious, why does JT never have to watch his sister? Like, why are they always hiring Glory to babysit Katie? JT is right there. Oh, this is definitely a rich people thing. Oh, probably. This is definitely a rich people thing. Our son doesn't want to do something. We'll hire another child to do it. (laughs) So Neil suggests that they should go look for Glory too. JT's like, no, I'll go and you can stay and do work. And Neil's like, no, 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 I'm going too because he's guilty as sin. Yes. Uh, So they decide to go check out the lake where Glory was going with Callie for their fishing. And we cut over to Sydney, who seems to be conducting her Billy Gunn prep work on the Swan's Cafe Swan Phone. Yes, she has commandeered the Swan Phone. It is so ridiculous. So she's squibbling. She's quibbling with someone over, like, the origin of the mineral water she has ordered. And on the wall of TVs behind her, a terrifying woman's face is grinning at us in a multiplicity of horror. It is, it is horrific. Uh, to be specific, the mineral water must be from the French Alps. <laughs> Only French Alps will do and, and Mr. Gunn needs it immediately. <laughs> yes. He's got a child to victimize. Uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> Garrett comes jogging in, loudly asking Sydney if she's seen Glory. And Sydney responds with snark and notes that if Garrett doesn't leave her alone, she's not going to be able to get anything done. Uh, the swan laundry situation was below the belt, and no manual labor was supposed to be part of this deal. (laughs) God forbid. And then, for exposition, they go over the whole agreement again about what (laughs) Sydney's supposed to do. Uh, This is my favorite thing about serialized television in the 90s, before (laughs) there was, like, binge-watching, is, like, you literally had to hit the exposition in every episode so that kids would know what was going on. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Sydney remarks that she is everybody's Gal Friday gopher and chief major bottle washer, and then she leaves. But as she goes out, she almost collides with Jimmy, who's entering. And Garrett asks Jimmy if he's seen Glory, but he hasn't! And that's when Barrick walks in. <laughs> Callie shows up first, too. But then, oh, right, right, right. Yeah, Barrick comes in. Yeah, it's like a, a series of very fast entrances into Swan's Cafe. Oh my god, it's like that play we did, where everybody <laughs> was coming in and out of doors, all the, like, the entire second act was just people indoors. It was so good. It was great. It was so fun. <laughs> I love a farce. So, uh, Barrick, when Barrick finds out what's going on, he offers to help look, and Callie's immediately like, no, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> And she she says, you said you had things to do. And, and I instantly went, why are you back here in the cafe, Barrick? You left, like, less than an hour ago not eating your stupid egg sandwich. Why are you back here? And Barrick says, actually, I only have one thing I need to take care of. It's really ominous. It is ominous. And we cut immediately from that line. Back to the strange dungeon where Glory is in her hazardnet hammock. There are candles now, like candles all over the place, like it's Phantom of the fucking Opera. Yep, yep. And there's the sound of dripping, and she looks down, and there are snakes slithering on the floor. Piles and piles of snakes. They are keeping this child in an Indiana Jones snake pit. There is a snake pit. Below the town of Swans Crossing. Why am I not surprised? What? This is so, it makes me so happy that there's a fucking snake pit under this rich people town. I mean, if the writers were perhaps a little more skilled, I would assume that this was a subtle metaphor, but I don't think it is. I think it's just convenience. Yeah. 
Uh, the she struggles against her bonds a little bit and whimpers, and we fade to commercial. When we come back from commercial, Beric is asking the kids in Swan's Cafe whether they've told Mr. and Mrs. Booth their daughter is missing yet. Sensible question, Beric. Yep. Garrett says no because his parents are over at the state capitol and won't be back until tonight. Yeah, and uh, Beric finds the most awkward way imaginable to tell Jimmy to get back to work, which is... He goes over to Jimmy. He says, I just heard a whistle blow. Jimmy says, what whistle? And Beric says, the one that says your break's over. <laughs> the most awkward way of saying, no one's at the shop. Go back there. Yeah. Dumb. Oh, jeez. Beric suggests to Garrett that maybe he should go home and wait for a phone call because sometimes people aren't missing. They've just missed a message, which, you know, is true back then before people had cell phones and could text each other. Right. And Beric is going to notify the authorities because Garrett doesn't want to, given his run-ins with the police. His multiple brushes with the law this right. summer alone. Officer was... Moore is not having it. So great. So Beric and Jimmy head off to go tell the police and then presumably return to the tool and die. And Garrett tells Callie that he's really worried because he doesn't say it very often, but he really cares about his sister. It's a nice attempt to humanize this psychopath. <laughs> it is. And then Garrett takes off to go wait at home. And then Callie is left alone and she notices that Beric has let his... His paper bag rest on the counter, and there it is, tempting her. And she picks it up, and she holds it as the as we crossfade from this scene, and I cannot tell you how excited I am about what's in the paper bag, Libby. <laughs> Which you can tell by how super light it is when yeah. she picks it up. Yeah. We cut to Mila's room. She's on the phone with Sydney. The Countess has given her permission to stay at Sydney's house tonight, and Sydney is shown on her bed surrounded by all the random shit she's bought to pacify Billy Gunn. It's an array of British products, mostly food, on the table in the foreground. Like, I love how they have arranged this shot where they were essentially like, okay, there's never anything next to the bed, but for this scene, we're going to put a table next to the bed so that we can make sure that this stuff gets in the frame. So good. And then piled against the headboard behind Sydney is a bunch of like shopping bags from department stores. We will learn later that they contain the hard rock outfits for Mila. Um, How many department stores are there in Swan's Crossing? I, I mean, mean, we know there's at least one. With a with a quote unquote makeup counter. <laughs> <laughs> Tomorrow is the day when Billy Gunn will arrive to commit unspeakable crimes in <laughs> Swan's Crossing. Um, I really hope when he gets there, where wherever he's supposed to meet up with Mila, he just finds Chris Hansen waiting and he's like why don't you have a seat? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that That'd be, be nice. great. That'd be great. Now, we cut over to JT and Neil reporting that they haven't found Glory to Garrett on the porch of the Booth home. And Garrett mentions that Barrick is notifying the authorities and Neil immediately jumps to, like, the FBI? Like, why does he go right he there? freaks out. <laughs> and Garrett, when Garrett is like, I guess, I don't know. Like, I'm a kid. When was the last time I reported something to the police? Neil says, I just hope no one no one took her. And and JT's like, whoa, what are you talking about? Who would want to hurt Glory? And then it was at this point that I noticed this scene is shot almost entirely in extreme close-up. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like single close-up on Neil, single close-up on JT, single close-up on Garrett. It is really unusual. Typically we get more of a scene setting one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just their faces being very upset. We cut back to Swan's. Callie has finally opened the bag of mystery. What does it contain, Nathan? A bag 
of cotton balls. Ah! And then just in case the viewers forgot the significance, she pulls a few raggedy-ass cotton balls out of her pocket and compares them to what's in the bag. They're yep. also cotton balls. All cotton balls, for yep. sure. Yep. That's all this scene is. It, it is just Callie with cotton ball bag. Callie pulls cotton balls out of pocket. <laughs> Crossfade. Well, there is, there's a moment where there was supposed to be Callie dramatically crushing the cotton balls in her fist. Because you get, like, as it crossfades, you get an extreme close-up on her face. And you can just see her fist come up into the frame where she's like, ah, crushing the cotton balls. So that I was, was shot poorly. I was not paying nearly enough attention to that. That's all right. I mean, you know, I've seen this a million times. So, uh-huh. You, you know. have. You have. There's so many so many delightful missed opportunities in the filming of this. <laughs> Cut to the snake pit, which are words I've been eagerly waiting 40 whole episodes to say. <laughs> Cut to the snake pit is also a very good title for this episode. <laughs> we see one of the baldies remove Glory's gag. She pleads with them not to hurt her, and they lurk around their candelabra for a while. And it's probably worth noting that in 1992, this was like the beginning of the end of the satanic panic in America. Yeah. So this specific imagery would have been intensely scary to kids at the time. Oh yeah, definitely. The two baldies are joined by a third masked man, and I I was like, is it Barrett? <laughs> We don't know. It's we someone know. who's not just masked, but also wearing like a hooded robe, a black hooded robe. Yeah. And he's got a snake draped around his neck. He's got, this guy holds out a boa constrictor extremely threateningly. <laughs> Callie says no, shakes the net futilely, and then the camera zooms in on the snake and then back to glory. We freeze frame roll credits. Now before we move on... <laughs> I want to say one thing about this moment because there is the sound effect of a snake hissing, which is obviously not the snake that is being held because the snake is not moving. The music and the camera work make the snake seem threatening, but this boa constrictor is legit just chilling. <laughs> it is just nonplussed by the whole affair. It and is. I love it. It's just like, what What do you guys want me to do? Oh, yeah, okay. not moving towards the camera, not really doing much of anything. <laughs> this is the most stoned boa constrictor I've ever seen. <laughs> well, that was episode 41. And wow. what an episode it was. It really was. Who was our psychopath of the week? Tough call, right? It is. It is. I mean, we, we, got, we got Callie freaking out over nothing. Uh, we've got... Neil freaking out with guilt. Garrett is not really in the running this week. Not so much. Sydney yeah. wasn't particularly psychopathic. Yeah. Um. I'm a, I am Callie. What do you think? Let me see here. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Callie for this one. I mean, her psychopathy was perhaps warranted, but if nothing else, I want to give it to her for uh, the crushing the cotton balls in her fist. That's excellent. Now, here's another question: Baldies. Do the baldies count? Okay, you know what? Here we go. I'm going to say the cloaked figure in the snake cloaked pit. Cloaked figure in the snake pit. Sure. Cloaked figure in the snake pit. An unexpected competitor for Psychopath of the Week, and I don't think we'll uh, see him again on the on the leaderboard, but uh, I'm glad he's here for, for now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm excited that, th that this man exists. I assume it's a man. It's definitely a man. It was 1992. Uh, and I can't wait to find out more about this person. So excited. Uh, what was our swan count? We had two new fake swans bringing our total to 107. Wow. Yeah. Damn, that's a so, lot of swans. Yeah. All right. 
your predictions. Okay. Next week, we finally get the reveal that Beric is in league with the Baldies. Or the FBI guys working against the Baldies. It's one of those two things. Uh, Garrett spends his time at home not waiting for the phone to ring, but calling Sydney to pressure her about Mila and Billy. Sydney... Oh, we didn't talk about Sydney's note. She get, gets oh, off the right. phone, gets off the phone with Mila, and immediately starts writing a note to the Countess. That's right. So I think that note is going to be to the Countess to inform her of the tryst that's happening between Mila and Billy, so that that gets interrupted and Mila gets grounded or something, and and Garrett moves in at that point. I don't know. Okay. Uh, Billy arrives uh, next episode, and the Countess interrupts his meeting with Mila. Thank God. And I think next episode, Neil finally comes clean about the poetry notebook containing the UB2 before Mila. All right. Also, the, fa- the number of times on this podcast that this stupid show has forced me to say the words UB2B. I know. How dare you, Libby? <laughs> I don't like it either. I don't like it either. Well, friends, uh, that's all for this episode. We're so glad you're still with us after all this time. <laughs> Not sure why, though. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm amazed. Uh, thank you to Richard Winsler and Steve Lane for the use of our theme song, Gotta Grow Up Sometime, from the hit show Swans Crossing. And if you want to find us on social media, we're on Instagram at Swans Cross Pod. No. Instagram at Gotta Grow Up Pod and Twitter at Swans Cross Pod. Oh, God. You got it right this time. I did. <laughs> and until we meet again, friends... May all your snake pits be free of snakes. No, wait. No, no, no. What? Until we meet again, friends, may all your snake pits be well illuminated by <laughs> by plentiful candles. <laughs> Bye. If, if they don't have snakes in them, it's just a pit, Where did she go? Maybe you're yelling scared her off. My yelling? Yeah, you're yelling. <laughs>